the feminine in nature is this like profound elemental force that we cannot control. And um, if we're not really in the flow of that, we might be angry about it. We might be afraid about that. We might be disgusted. Like, like mm-hmm. life is messy, you know, like birth and menstruation and nursing, like it's messy. Mm. And so like inside every sweet goddess is a colleague. Um, and so, um, shout out to Alexandra, <laughs> <laughs> the big hormone enneagram. Hi, I'm John Lukovich, uh, sexual self press for five wings. Hi, I'm David Gray, self-press sexual 9 with 1974 trifix. What up? It's Emika. I'm an 8 with 7, sexual self-press with 854 fixes. Hi, I'm Nancy. I am a self-press social 3 wing 4 with a 369 trifix. If you like our podcast, guys, make sure you go like and subscribe on the Apple Podcast app. And if you really like us, you should definitely leave us a review. Buy my book, please. Uh, and then leave <laughs> reviews. And, um, you know, I just got past like 2,000 books sold, uh, Mark. So I don't know if that's good or not very much, but uh, it feels good. And so, um, yeah, I want to keep going. And uh, I'm working on a, kind of a new book. So. Please, please keep buying. What else we got? Uh, let's see. David's Trifix booklet, archetypal guide to the Trifix. It's available at anygrammar.com, 12 bucks. DAA Dark Hearts Academy. Um, learn how to use the language of the Enneagram by experiencing and practicing with the concepts that we're learning here. I think we've been doing some videos on. Uh, more topical stuff like exploring wings of certain types. Um, yeah, that's cool. So yeah, join that. What else is going on? Yeah, Josh has all his "What It's Like to Be You" podcast out. That's a really good library of actual good exemplars of people actually those types instead of all the trash that's out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, first of all, Nancy is fucking back. Nancy She's back, back here with us again. Back, baby. Y'all thought. Nancy just ghosted us. Nope. We hunted her down. We found out she's hiding in the Netherlands. Thousands of miles away. Um, and, but today we are with uh, my friend Julie Harris, who uh, we did, we, we were really good friends and we did a lot of work together in something called New York Enneagram, where we were teaching workshops here in New York City and online stuff. And um, yeah, I just think uh, Julie and I had like a really great, just creative collaborative relationship and um you know we kind of stopped doing new york enneagram stuff when the pandemic started or something something around that era and uh started working on uh divine feminine using archetypes to explore the feminine and i don't actually know very much about this but i heard from different independent people that were like just how cool this was and you know uh, a while back um we had uh, Julie and I's friend Curtis uh, on to talk about men's stuff, men's inner work. So thought it'd be cool to focus on the ladies. So um, Julie, if you could uh, introduce yourself and say a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So hi, I'm Julie. 
Um, and I am a coach and an integrative breathwork facilitator and an Enneagram teacher. And uh, I'm also certified to teach yoga, although I don't do straight up yoga teaching much anymore. And um, my work is really about bringing things into form, which is um, what the feminine is about bringing the immaterial into material form and, and all the ways, you know, from, from how it gets conceived and gestated and um, birthed and nourished and sustained and then reconstellated into something else. So, um, yeah, uh, that's kind of the heart of, of my work. And um, a few years ago, another mutual friend of John and me, uh, Denise Hoke, um, she studies the divine feminine in Egypt. She reads hieroglyphs, which is pretty, pretty Wild. cool. Um, and um, she and I started talking about the feminine and um, how we could make a connection between the feminine and the Enneagram. Uh, because I've done a lot of study of Indian philosophy. And uh, we started talking about it. And there was sort of like this immediate connection. And uh, we ended up putting together two things, one, uh, um, a retreat about the feminine and second, a workshop that we presented at the um, regional IEA in Egypt in uh, 2020, just before the world shut down. And um, yeah, so we have, I mean, the feminine is this vast topic, but I think a good place to start is with some of the work that Denise and I did, which is this, um, how the feminine appears through the three centers. Mm -hmm. real quick can you tell the people what your enneagram type is oh sure yeah i'm a six with a five wing um social sexual cool. oh, so god no self-press sexual <laughs> what the hell i don't know what happened there <laughs> six happened there <laughs> complete brain fart I, you know, it's just like i have so much material totally like i've been preparing for this the one of the aspects of the feminine and this happened to denise and i when we we're trying to Put together this work because it just keeps expanding and expanding and expanding mm -hmm. and like we um we we started putting something together and then like we got lost in it i was like mm. i don't know where i am and we had to like throw it out and start all over again mm. so um yeah i'm a, li a little bit in that right now <laughs> i've got stuff all over the place because <laughs> you know six can't help but be like what if i need that <laughs> um so <laughs> yes yeah, self-processual ladies be expanding yeah. exactly totally <laughs> so yeah like what was the, i mean what was the impetus to connect the enneagram and the feminine like why did what did that seem like a thing that needed to be made uh into form yeah well there i think they're both pieces of work that are were important are important to both denise and i and um you know we live in a patriarchal culture mm. and so um there is not much um, real investigation about what the feminine means. And we wanted to bring that more explicitly into the Enneagram world. Um, and just also like a point of something that I want to say is that when I'm talking about the feminine, I'm not necessarily talking about biological or gender identity. Mm -hmm. um, you'll see as we talk about it that it certainly uh, arises from female biology. but um, what we what we worked with was the idea of feminine the feminine being this um essential current 
just like you might map uh, the essential domain of a one or a four or mm-hmm. a three and, and understand like what, what's in there and then what happens when we feel disconnected from that essential domain. Like how, how do we contract? How do we react to that loss of connection? And so, um, you know, the Enneagram is a powerful system and tool and, you know, bringing this awareness of how the feminine intersects with it felt like something that we didn't see was happening in the Enneagram world and we wanted to bring it. Yes. What did you, so you were, you were about to go into something like what you and Denise started coming up with. Right. Yeah. So what we did was um, we looked at the three centers and we created um, our sense of what the overall essence of the feminine was in each of those three centers. And so in the heads, in the, gosh, in the body center, let's start with the body center. Uh, In the body center, we called it sacred form. Mm. Um, In the heart center, abundant heart. And in the head center, panoramic vision. And so I can unpack each one of those for us. Um, Okay, so in the body center, um, sacred form. And um, what we mean by sacred is something that is in alignment with form. um, You know, the feminine is um, aligned with things um, living and growing and thriving. So, um, yeah, so that takes a number of faces when when we look into that more deeply. And so the one of the first goddesses or principles around sacred form that we looked at was Hathor mm. in the Egyptian pantheon. Mm. And um, Hathor is often called the cosmic matrix, mm-hmm. right? She mm. kind of like births the spiritual principle and form into being. And this word matrix is a really important word for the feminine. Um, it is uh, the Latin word for womb. Mm. And um, from that root, we get words like matter and material and mother. Mm. Um, and so um, life is held in a matrix. Like life does not survive without a matrix. And um, our first matrix literally is the womb, right? Mm. Um, and um, there's this lovely book called Magical Child by a man named Joseph Chilton Pierce. And he talks about the matrix as, first of all, this place that is inherently fertile. It's where like something can, has the possibility of growing. And secondly, then the matrix is um, a place where once something is planted, uh, it has the nourishment to grow. Mm-hmm. And it's also is kind of a safe and protected space where something can explore what its form wants to be, right? So in the womb, like that all happens, like in that, in that place, it's encapsulated. We're completely encapsulated and um, the matrix does it all for us. Mm-hmm. And then when we're born, um, our mother is our first matrix, right? Mm-hmm. She's the one who's nourishing us and um, protecting us from stimulation, overstimulation and all those things. And then as we grow, the earth becomes our matrix. And um, what he says is that people have an inherent need to feel a connection to their matrix. Um, And he actually defines intelligence with the ability to have a dynamic exchange with our matrix. And so, like, here's where I begin to see anyway our our disconnect um, from the feminine in our world, which is that um, we're very out of touch with the matrix of the earth. Uh, We're very out of touch with the matrix of our bodies. Mm. Um, And um, when we're not in relationship with something, when we don't have a dynamic exchange of information, we don't talk to something, we don't understand it. 
And then when we don't understand it, we get afraid of it. And what, what we're afraid, we try to destroy. Mm. Um, and so, you know, he, Chilton Pierce talks about how um, because of this need to have a connection to our matrix, like if we can't find a way to have a life-affirming connection with the matrix, we will have a destructive connection with it. We will have a violent connection with mm. it because we need a connection of some sort. If we don't know how to do it in alignment, then we will do it destructively. And so, you know, this is where um, things like sexual violence and fracking, you know, rape of the earth come yeah. from. It's like we're, we're not connected into the matrix, but we have this like deep longing for nourishment, all of us, right? And so then we, then these, we take these actions against the feminine. Um, which in effect is an action against ourself, our, our, our own source and matrix. Seems like the, like the, the womb thing's kind of interesting because I'm thinking about how, uh, like just on a, like a, a world global scale or whatever, uh, yeah, it's like the, the different matrices, whether it's uh, our bodies or the, mater the material world, just get exploited. And it's like mm -hmm. this thing of like, you know, when you're, when you're actually a, an infant in the womb, you're just getting your needs met and then it's just an automatic process but then like the next graduation level where you're in the you're, you're born that matrix requires uh reciprocal maintenance reciprocal mm -hmm. exchange right and it's like want people wanting to not do the sacrificing part or the giving back part and just like get me give me give me part right i was thinking about uh yeah, like like the billionaires destroying the planet. It's like they're trying to recreate wombs, you know, like mm -hmm. trying to be without um, to insulate themselves and have these, you know, like Jeffrey Epstein had these fantasies of like reproducing himself in like laboratories and you know all this kind of weird stuff. And so it's, it's yeah, like lack, like nourishment without lack, with like like no sense of the return or like renewal. How something is transform it's just the just the taking 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 right right you know it's it's like um you know it reminds me of of the seven like you know the the starving heart the hungry ghost it's like all i know is i'm hungry and i just need to keep consuming things but i actually don't know what satisfies me right. and i i i can't um I can't stand still long enough to actually be in relationship with something, to savor something so that it, that it might create this sense of um, this reciprocal nature. And I think when we're really in touch with the matrix of the earth, um, we understand that we are a part of it. Like part of this reciprocal maintenance thing is like, I'm a part. I'm not the thing itself. Mm -hmm. And um, I think there's a lot of, you know, anger that comes up around that, like, like the feminine in nature is, um, is this like profound elemental force that we cannot control. And um, if we're not really in the flow of that, we might be angry about it, we might be afraid about that, we might be disgusted, like, like mm -hmm. life is messy, you know, like birth and menstruation and nursing, like it's messy. And so then there's this like cutting off and this feeling like I want to control it. And, mm. and in doing so, then I, I begin to kill the very thing that gives me life. Mm -hmm. So in terms of connecting it to goddesses, like 
was it just using goddesses as a kind of lens to highlight these archetypal dynamics or was it like like i would just imagine somebody listening might go uh are the goddesses related to the types or something like that or is it just like a archetypal lens to unpack these kind of um archetypes and concepts yeah yeah well we looked at trying to connect goddesses to types but um it didn't feel right it felt mm. like we were trying to like shoehorn something in that really didn't fit mm-hmm. and you know part of this expansive and fluid nature of the feminine you even see it in the um in the archetypes like in egypt there's hathor and there's isis mm. and then sometimes there's hathor isis yep and she's like not a separate thing. It's like they just kind of come together and combine sometimes, right? You know, in the Indian pantheon, it's really interesting. You know, you have Kali, which is this very fierce, right? She's about the reconstellation that we haven't really talked about yet. But, um, you know, and so when you look at her, she's got her tongue out. It's like this big red tongue and there's blood everywhere, right? It's... it's um, it's a mess. And then you have some of these other goddesses, these sweet goddesses or intoxicating goddesses, and they're wearing a red sari. And it's like the redness of the blood becomes um, culture. Nature becomes culture. Mm. Mm. And so like inside every sweet goddess is a Kali. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and so. Um, Shout out to Alexandra. <laughs> <laughs> She's just listening in. She's like, yeah. Shut Sean. All right, bye. Right, right. And so, like, like, it worked at the level of the centers, but it just didn't really work at the level of, of types. You know, mm-hmm. there's certainly elements. Like, sure. you can see the eight in Kali or, or mm-hmm. in um, Sekhmet. But there's also, like, you know, Sekhmet kind of goes on a rampage, and then, like, she has to be brought back to her heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kali's the same, like, you know, I think, um, we learned a lot about her, you know, she, she stands for like, um, this real fierceness and this willingness to turn into our shadow, but in the myth, she can also be hurt. Like mm-hmm. she gets cheated on with her brother and with Shiva, um, Vishnu, her brother appears in the form of this like delicious woman and they go to like perform the, do this like scheme. And then, like, um, Shiva, like, is like, oh, my God, I want that. And Vishnu gets pregnant. And um, then Kali has to actually birth the child because, you know, even though he was in the form of a woman, he's actually a man. And so she has to kind of, like, ooze the child out of his pores. And, like, you know, that hurts her. She (laughs) has a heart, too. Um, And so, um, yeah, I just I just see this, like, movement between types. So um, it just didn't feel helpful to try and um, stick uh, certain characteristics only onto a goddess. But I think I think it's illustrative. I think the goddesses can be illustrative. Um, And so like um, one of the things we see in Egypt is there's lots of um, pictures of mother nursing an infant. Mm-hmm. And then we also see pictures of an older pharaoh, like he's standing on his own two feet and he's nursing. Mm-hmm. Or we see like um, uh, Hathor can also be um, depicted as a cow, right? Mm-hmm. The source of nourishment. And we see at the temple of Hepshetsut, which is on the right female pharaoh, and she's like suckling from the cow. And so, um, you know, in our typical parlance, nursing is infantilizing emasculating right and and you see these images like 
actually, no, you can stand on your own two feet and still be nourished, like still be connected mm-hmm. to the matrix, right? And so there's, there's not as much of a separation. Like one of, the, um, one of the problems of patriarchy is about compartmentalizing things, mm-hmm. right? And so like you see both in Egypt and in India, you know, there is sexuality with the goddesses and there is nursing and, and nourishing and it's, it's the same goddess. It's, mm-hmm. it's not split into two different things. And so there's this um, more of a welcoming of the fullness of the feminine, uh, you know, from beginning to end. And um, yeah, so that, I think um, we can look at the goddesses in these different depictions and, and pick up all these different pieces of the feminine. So um, in this like idea of sacred form of the divine feminine, kind of interested, you know, you just mentioned compartmentalization and verse, which just seems like um, earlier, you know, we were talking about the renewal of the matrix or whatever, right? Like kind of like the, the matrix is like this uh, uh, attentiveness or relational quality of being related to your environment. And, mm-hmm. uh, Whereas the compartmentalized thing is like the loss of that, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of curious from like a, maybe an inner work or a developmental personal thing, like, like, how, like how is something like this, like whether it's for male-bodied people or, or masculine-identifying people, like what would be something to like take from this to like to learn from? You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, to incorporate sure. or to change your behavior or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, the feminine is very central, right? It's like, um, like life is inviting us into life with its, with its beauty. And, um, I think one of the simplest things we can do is, um, be more in our senses, like, um, you know, touch things, smell, taste, like really experience life, right? No matter what body I'm in. Um, that's what begins to create a dialogue between me and li- and other forms in this life. So um, that's one thing is kind of being open to the actual experience of being in relationship with something rather than my ideas or images about what it means to actually be in relationship. And I think the other thing, you know, Kali is very much about um, looking into our shadow. Um, one of the meanings of her name is the black one. And so she's like this black place of potential, right? Like the fertile hummus. Um, and, um, you know, like you may have heard this uh, phrase, like the bigger the light, the bigger the shadow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So as we're growing again, like part of patriarchy is like endlessly upward into the light. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and the, the reality is the, the more I expand, the more my shadow expands too. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, you know, really with Kali, like welcoming the unwelcome, like being willing to be with this blackness and my shadow, um, and to, um, not have a like light, good, dark, bad, yeah. you know? It's like there's a fullness to it, I think, that we can learn to be with. And, um, you know, one of the things that Kali stands for is the idea that life finds a way. Like the feminine finds a way to like live and endure through Mm -hmm. things. 
And she does this by not falling into some kind of false stasis. Like there's, there's a story of her vanquishing this buffalo demon. And the buffalo is like um, the epitome of certainty and stasis, like just sits in the field chewing its cut all day. Mm. Um, and she needs to, she's, you know, lots of the gods and get called in to try and vanquish it and they can't. And she like fundamentally comes from this place of destabilization and kind of meets the certainty with that. And so, you know, there's there's never finished. There's never perfected. Like if we're if we're perfected and still we're not alive anymore. Right. And like in Indian culture, stasis is dangerous. Like standing water is where disease breeds. Mm, Interesting. Yeah. Right. And so um, I think, you know, one of the one of the things to struggle with and something I struggle with, too, raised in this culture is like, you know, there is no ultimate perfection. There is no like, oh, now I'm good. Like I vanquished all my demons and I'm good. It's like um, the feminine invites us into the fullness of whatever this life is. And like, how can we experience it? And without judgments or expectations, like really just receive it. Right. And this is um, one of the main principles of the feminine is, um, as you're saying, John, the reciprocal maintenance is about receiving and being received. There's there's something really interesting. Um, I'm trying to like conceptualize it, and I'm also very bad at uh, like remembering the correct terms for for like things. So like my one of, one of my experiences in talking, and the you know the ladies on the call can uh, obviously correct me, but uh, that like one of the big wounds that I think that um, cis yeah. males sometimes don't always understand about uh, the wounds that patriarchy has on cis women is that there's like that sensuous part of relating to the matrix. Like it's like, it's like in the, the patriarchy can, can do this compartmentalization where there's a lack of that in touchness with self and world. And in the patriarchy, however, seems to give cis men, a false uh, direction and guidance that's kind of in the in the area of exploitation of some kind of like getting ahead or doing business or getting laid or something like this, but that a lot of the wounds that I've heard cis women speak to has been like a lack of being in touch with themselves, like and how their attention has been directed toward basically the needs of cis men. Am I making sense? Yes. Um. I mean, you're making sense to me. Um, and I'm not saying that like uh, cis men have more are more in touch with themselves, but I think that there is a directionality that is offered by the culture that can give a false sense of, um, be, you know, being in touch with something. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, one one thing that that uh, made me think of is kind of part of what Julie was saying: how there's never really an end with the feminine. So if you think about, uh, you know, if you go to the broader capitalism and how um, basically American capitalism is set up, um, it's set up in this nine to five day and night, five day a week kind of cycle, whereas um, that works for a male body. But if you think of how uh, a female body works, they work on a 28 day cycle rather than a 24 hour cycle. Mm. Um, And there's never really an end there is only like different sections of that 28 day cycle. So 
we are living in a world that's not really set up to benefit us and allow us to be within that never-ending cycle. It is set up for mm. the male barriers of a cycle, if that makes sense. Yeah, so yeah. it's like it's like being pulled from your from a from your body's natural cycle into a, an artificial cycle and sort of not even given a choice. Exactly. Mm. Right. And I think it's a good good point that you bring up, Nancy, is that, yeah, the feminine is very cyclical. You know, thing, things come around again. Um, and um, like in the head center, part of the reason I, we called um, the head center panoramic vision is based on the moon cycle, is that, you know, as the moon moves, you only see a facet of it at each point, right? And you know it's the moon. I, actually, we never even see the whole thing, even when it's a full moon, right? It's a three-dimensional object. And it's like, you know, can we be okay with, like, encountering the facet that we're in right now and um, not trying to kind of, like, rush ahead or, or um, grasp for more? Um, and so it, I think it has a lot to do with context, like feeling that context of, of being in a cyclical, in a cyclical movement, a seasonal movement. And yeah, our culture tries to override that. Like I was talking about this with, um, someone who had spent time in Japan and she said when she lived in Japan, they only had strawberries three weeks out of the year. Like you didn't have strawberries any other time because that's the only time that you can grow strawberries in Japan. And of course, in our culture, it's like we we need to have strawberries from Chile. We need to, you know, like get them in here because we need this all the time. And so there's there's a lack of contact with our actual needs Mm. and um, and a demand that um, we be supplied with the same thing all the time. Mm. Yeah. And um, on that one thing that moving uh to the netherlands actually showed me is how um little space you actually need so like in america there's this big thing about personal space right um and i'm a big personal space person i'm like you know stay six feet away from me at all times i don't care if it's covid um but coming here people don't do personal space quite the same um and at first for the first like week or two brian and i thought everybody was just really rude um, <laughs> Because we were like, why is everyone just like up in our business? Um, like how much like, closer do they stand to you? Like, it's not, it's not like insanely close, right. um, but people just like the way they walk, they don't really like get out of your way. Like as much, they aren't just like, ooh, get a rent, like, you know, doing that ooh, ooh, kind of Midwestern thing that people do. What do they do? They just like run into you? <laughs> well, you just don't offer as much space. So you okay. take as much as you need and no more. And there's an understanding that this is a shared space and you're only going to take what you need. So people will get out of your way, but not skirt around you, if that makes sense. So Mm. there's just this not this excessive getting, you know, my own personal space. It's like everybody's shared space and we're all in it. It's yeah. a very strange experience, and I don't like it all that much, but it's just <laughs> it's very different. A year from now, she's going to be like, hey, I want to get all up in your space, Emma. Uh, absolutely not. She's going to talk very <laughs> close. Touch me. Don't touch me. Don't breathe in there. Yeah, yeah. But, like, that's that relationality, right? And so, like, I've been thinking about this, that, you know, um, if the feminine is, like, the cyclical and spiral thing, and then the masculine can come in with, this, like, directionality and, and kind of piercing that to create something new and so you know 
like that kind of both of those going like this cyclicality and then the occasional like piercing something gets gets created that's new but like if that directionality is is trying to kind of run over that the cycle all the time i think that's the experience of what you're talking about john mm. um is that there's a halo around directionality that that's how we should be and like even talking to some of my clients you know like uh, you know, even the thing of being on your cycle and like, you know, you have to pretend that you're not or, you know, you're you're getting on the plane and you're bleeding heavily and, and you just have to keep going on. Right. And so, you know, modern life has things like tampons and things like that that make it easy to do that. But also we lose is sort of like that pressure to just not be in the cycle, but just to keep going no matter what else is going on in our in our bodies. Interesting. Yeah. So do you feel like, uh, like, is there more to cover about? Is there more to talk about in the body center? Yeah. About sacred form. And uh, -huh. um, I just want to kind of say one more thing about that, about sensuality and the invitation into life. Mm. Um, so like when you walk into an Indian temple, there's all these smells and sounds and, you know, um, different colors and all of that. And um, in Egypt, it seemed like it was that way, too. And it's very different from Western sacred space. Um, and so, you know, one of the functions of the feminine was to really to formally invite you into life, to kind of find the beauty and it keep inviting you into life. And, you know, we we have this crisis in our in our world right now of meaning. Right. And and part of it is that like we we're we're not awake to the beauty and the invitation of life. Um, we, we think we're going to control it. Like that's this directionality. Like we think we know what matters and, and what we're going to do. And we don't respond to that invitation. And so that invitation is all the senses. And it's also very vibrational. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, you know, in, in Egypt, there's this um, instrument called the seshishat. Mm -hmm. which uh, is um, like the sound of the snake coming through the reeds. And even like that movement of the snake, like very sinuous and spiral and curved and um, right, like a straight line creates more of what there already is. Mm -hmm. And like that curve of the snake, like begins to get us into like the law of three, like you get like the three points as the curve goes around that where something new gets created. So just um i think the feminine can invite us into how do new things get created and it's not just by like hammering hammering stuff over and over again that's how you create the same thing over and over again isn't isn't the shishi shat isn't that a uh, hathor's rattle yes mm -hmm. it also represents the orgasm mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah there was um an interesting i don't know where i saw this but um you know mary you like mary oliver right sure there's like a I don't, you know, I don't know Mary Oliver or anything, but there was a thing that was posted somewhere that I read about Mary Oliver's poem, The Summer Day. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I'm not going to read the whole poem, but um, it says like, you know, who made the world? Who made the swan, the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper, I mean, the one that has flung herself out of the grass, the one who was eating sugar out of my hand, who's moving her jaws back and forth and up and down, who is gazing around with her enormous and, and complicated eyes. And it goes on. And the end, it says, doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? 
and the the post I read was commenting on that last line. What do you want to do with your one wild and precious life? Can be it gets like taken out of the poem and used as like a motivational poster. Mm-hmm. Like what? Do you, how are you going to hustle when the <laughs> right. whole thing is about paying more sensuous attention to the like right. panopticon the of hopper. right? Yeah, like exactly. to be more intimate and and gentle right. and. Um, in tune and it's like no how are you gonna get that crypto you know or whatever (laughs) check out what i'm doing with my one wild and precious life and that's crypto hashtag instagram hashtag Hashtag blessed yeah culture exactly exactly yeah no totally i think that's great john and um that sort of like opening up the head center, opening up to curiosity, like what is here and and how do I want to interact with that as a, as opposed to, yeah, having this like template of what success means. And I think that, uh, I mean, you know, you've been involved in the Enneagram a long time and, uh, you know, we did a lot of Enneagram Institute stuff together and, and coaching. And it's like that linear point of view often is applied to inner work, that it is mm-hmm. like a, a, a a single journey up a mountain toward greater and greater awareness and enlightenment and yes. how full of shadows that is and how like it doesn't work that way and how people misjudge like when you're working with like like with our with our podcast like just itself we've we've been uncovering more and more stuff about the object relations and how fucking depressing those are <laughs> 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 and it's like starts and stops and there's a lot of been stuff about like yeah i mean instincts which will translate into like relationships and like how depressing all that stuff is and so uh you know i don't know there's just this familiarity with how even like the 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 like inner work really is like that um quality of attention that you give that grasshopper in that poem you know Mm -hmm. like you're just like observing things and like what is this who made this what did this come from Mm -hmm. what's happening um and has this texture of becoming more conscious has a just a different flow and vibrancy than we imagine. Yeah. And it's just how much inner work gets co-opted or self-development gets co-opted by a single, like it does have a linear point at certain points, but gets co-opted by a, a wholly linear kind of getting more awake. I'm getting healthier. You know, people always like, I'm a healthy four or whatever it is. It's like yeah. that kind of view starts to really right. damage yeah uh the actual inner work it, it's even like the sort of thing that happens where people just assume at the beginning of an enneagram journey is to take a quiz mm. there's a bunch of questions and a quiz is like a very linear you could say masculine approach to this idea of uncovering what your type might be which is a really complex psychological structure now becomes reduced to a bunch of questions and it gives you a result and that's where people start and even like the whole process of typing feels very um, goal oriented, and I I mean everyone kind of starts that way, but eventually you you see that Enneagram is like a really mysterious sort of unfolding of all these different interlocking facets, and that you have to sort of get swallowed up by this thing to really get it. And you know, with the pod, a lot of the insights we discover, it's kind of like. We're like reaching around in the dark and we don't know where it's going to come from. But then all of a sudden we all kind of give birth to something that we didn't expect. <laughs> right. For sure. Right. You know, so yeah. it's like it's we don't know where it's coming from. And that feels like more embracing that sort of like unpredictable feminine energy 
And I think because we've all been so conditioned to work in environments where we have to get linear results, that um, it takes a while for people to sort of give themselves up to the experience of letting something like the Enneagram take, penetrate them, which... Yeah, yeah, it's really difficult and, you know, and, and so influenced, I think, by religion, right? And so one of the things, like, transcendence is the masculine principle and imminence is the feminine principle. And, you know, they're, they can kind of happen simultaneously, but, and I think the more, my, my experience in my own inner work is like, they get closer and closer to each other. Like the more I work with it, like I have this huge, something that feels like a huge opening and like the next second it's like, you know, down in the depths and then down in the depths and, and something arises from that. And so like, that's the cycle, right? And so, again, when we compartmentalize it and we're like, all that matters is transcendence, you know, then we're getting into like purity culture. And how do you define transcendence? And mm-hmm. and and we're beginning to cut off all these pieces of what it means to actually be embodied in this form here. Mm-hmm. Nancy, cool. did you want to say something? I was just going to kind of put my two cents in because I realized my brain was uh, making it a very black and white thing to do so for anyone else's brain out there that's like mine um i realized that i was creating the masculine into like capitalism and like money making and like hustle culture and that kind of stuff and i think it's worth saying that as uh dynamic and interesting as the feminine is the masculine is probably just as much so just in a different way yeah and i i'm just saying that more for my benefit than anything else yeah, I think it's a really good point. And um, one of the things I was thinking about, I don't know if you guys want to do this, but um, we can do some breath, pra- a breath practice, like a short breath practice that's more in masculine mode and one that's more in feminine mode. And it's oh, that'd that be like interesting. one that'd be cool. is good or bad, but like they bring us to different things, right? So are you guys interested in that? Yeah. Fuck yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. All right, so let's start by just like bringing ourselves here, right? Um, and you can play along at home if you're listening. Um, so notice your feet on the floor or your seat in the chair and just bring yourself actually in contact with the sensation of the floor, the sensation of the chair. Okay, and this is, this is the first part of embodiment is bringing ourselves into our sensation and so that we can land We can help our other centers land in the same place where our body is right now. And um, in both of these practices, I'm not going to ask you to change or shape your breath in any way, like it might move. But just uh, just notice, just breathe naturally and notice. So here's the first practice. I want you to watch your breath as it moves in and out of your body. Really follow it. Observe it. Get curious about it. And you might even pick a point of focus 
to really drill down more deeply into, like, for instance, when the breath comes in, really watching it as it comes in. And then let that go. Just kind of take a, a palate cleanser, inhale, exhale. And so for this next practice, I invite you to really inhabit your breath, to sense how the breath comes in through your nose and mouth. What's the sensation of it? What's the sensation of it moving down your throat? What's the sensation of your body? You might notice the sensation of your belly or your ribcage expanding. And then noticing, inhabiting the sensation as the breath leaves. And see if you can immerse yourself fully in the sensation of your breath in every moment, as if you're receiving something delicious, or as if your lover is caressing you with his breath. And inhabiting every sensation, every movement, every moment. You don't want to miss a thing. You don't want to miss a drop. Yeah, and then just let that go. So what was your experience of those two ways of breathing? Yeah, the second one felt... I feel like it forced me to really get into the experience of breathing, which I don't think I've ever really focused on, like savoring every aspect, every sensation of my breath. Mm. So that was interesting. It really like pulled me into my breath a lot more, like what my breath feels like going down up my nose and back. That, that was, yeah, it got me into the experience of my breath more so than the other one. Mm-hmm. It's also kind of interesting. Um, like usually when we think like there's an experience of savoring, it's like, oh, here is a here is a special experience to now savor, mm-hmm. versus just like, like you can just savor something like breath. It's not always the same thing as enjoying it. Like not to say it's not enjoyable, but it's just not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's like we'll take that, I guess, sort of distorted masculine view of like let me exploit the thing i'm savoring to squeeze out the enjoyment mm-hmm. you know yeah um becomes an object right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah of- that was that was very much my experience too john where i was like i feel like i'm doing this in a very directive way <laughs> mm-hmm. and i was mm-hmm. hearing myself in my head thinking i don't think that's quite right 
yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the masculine is excellent at, at observing, like, you know, creating this kind of witnessing, right? And there are many breath practices where we do this. We witness our breath. We watch it. And there is tremendous value in learning to observe ourselves more impartially, right? And then the second breath practice, um, there's a woman I've been studying with this year named Maya Luna, and um, she taught me this way of working with the breath. She calls it the sex of the breath, which I thought you guys would particularly <laughs> yeah, enjoy. <laughs> but, you know, that, that sort of like that engagement, that full engagement with the thing, not standing back and watching it and studying it, mm. but like really being in it. And, you know, when we do that, when we're in it, we are so much more vulnerable, right? We're, we're noticing, like you said, Emika, like, oh, I, I don't think I ever really noticed that. Like, what does that feel like? And we're opening ourselves up to the experience as it is. And that does come with vulnerability, whereas that ability to kind of like stand back and observe, we have this kind of like separate ego that's, mm. that's watching something. And again, like they're, they're both interesting modes to practice in. But I think when we default to something, that's when we kind of get ourselves in trouble. I always think my favorite part of doing any type of breath work is my internal dialogue during it, mm -hmm. um, because it just will go haywire. Um, and the first, the first one we did, I was like, "Oh yeah, this is totally the feminine." Like, because I didn't know which one. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "I am so good at this." <laughs> oh my god i love that nancy and then when we got to the second one where you're like oh yeah no, i was like, i think this yeah. is feminine. <laughs> i was like oh no no i was completely wrong <laughs> never mind <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so like i and i think this is a good place so like it takes us into the heart center like even when you were talking about the grasshopper john you know like if we're really with the grasshopper like it's going to begin to bring us into our heart like mm -hmm. Wow, like the beauty and our this appreciation for this creature, like this tiny but complex creature, right? And so this quality of abundant heart, um, this really being able to be fully with and be affected by whatever is happening in this moment and um, not having a wall um, mm. for anything, you know? And that includes, you know, anger and grief and love and ecstasy and joy and all, all of it, right? You know, again, there's this lovely connection with the moon cycle, and you, I'm sure you know this, John, that um, uh, in, in the mythology, when, when we get to the full moon, Isis and her sister Nephthys start weeping, mm -hmm. because they know that the only place you can go once the moon is full is to begin to fractalize again, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's not like... Oh, no, uh, it's not like, oh, I'm at the full moon, let me see how I can fix this in place, right? Or ignore the fact that we're going into the down cycle now. It's like, yeah, that like there's sorrow and grief in things fractalizing after they've been full. But like, can we stay with the fullness of that experience? Like, okay, here's this beautiful, shiny thing that we've come to. And now we're going to descend again, mm -hmm. right? And the feminine, the, the awake feminine accompanies us through all the whole cycle and these thresholds. Um, and I was thinking today when I was in, um, in Egypt in the temple of Dandara, and there's that room, John, where you go, you go into 
where Osiris is resurrected. And there's a, like a threshold, a doorway. And I really felt that threshold. Like I felt how like when we're on the, the threshold of something important, like either part of us is like, oh, no, I'm scared. Like, uh, hell no, I'm not going through that. And then I could also feel the other part of me, and this is very counterphobic six. I going to run through the door. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I'm not really going to. Fuck I'm it, gonna let's get, do it. Exactly. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get through it, but I'm not going to fully experience it, which means that I'm not going to actually integrate fully the last. Like, I'm going to check it off. I'm going to get something out of it, but it's not really going to be part of me. And um, one of the things Denise has been studying is all these gates and thresholds. And um, in Denise loves a good gate. uh, Yeah, she absolutely (laughs) does. And um, that like in the kind of the um, consensus reality understanding, they say that there are all these demons at the gates and they're all female. And she's like, they're not demons. They're actually there to help you move through the gate. Um, And one of them is this vulture goddess. And apparently vultures are a bird that kind of actually use their beak to open the egg when it's ready to hatch. Mm-hmm. They, you know, other other birds, like they just let the egg hatch. The vulture, the mother vulture is like, it's time for you to hatch. Like, let's go. Tap, tap, tap. And so like there's this terror, like this large beak is coming in to like let you know that it's time to go to the next thing. Right. But she also I hear Denise saying she also describes the vulture as the tenderest of mothers. Mm. And so there's a sense that, you know, when we're in these cycles, when we're in these thresholds, that the feminine is capable of accompanying us there in our terror, in our excitement, in our fear, in our like hopes. Right. And um, I think it goes back to that connection to the matrix. Like if we know that there's kind of something companioning us, like, you know, there's a lot of suffering in this life. Um, and that's just the fact of being in a body. Um, and we can try and be like, well, I'm not suffering anymore. Like, let me get rid of the suffering and then perpetually feel deficient because like I'm still suffering. Or we can be like, well, there's something holding me in this suffering. Like there's I'm not alone in this suffering. And I think that's one of the things that um, being connected to the feminine in the heart can help us feel. Hell yeah. <laughs> So, you know, the, this quality of abundant heart in the feminine is, is this deep listening, deep listening to need. Um, and that ability to receive the need and then to respond to it. And um, the word vulnerability, I think, you know, I, I mentioned that before. I, I think it comes into play in the heart center. And um, the root of that word means capable of being wounded. If you're mm. vulnerable, Ooh. you're capable of being wounded. That's nice. Yeah. And so the feminine understands that, again, like this life is a, is a continual process of rupture and repair um, mm. and wounding. And there's another teacher that I'm studying with, Francis Weller, and he talks about the necessary wound and that he would not wish on anyone an unwounded life because there's no Ooh. growth. There's no growth in an unwounded life, right? The wound is what opens us uh, to encounter the fullness of our humanity. And so, um, you know, the feminine knows this. 
and the feminine is okay with this and um, welcomes welcomes our vulnerability. This isn't a. I don't want to interrupt too much, but this isn't aside. In referring to some of the stuff that we've been doing lately, for me, um, I'm not sure when I'll get a chance to say this, but I had, in some ways, reconnected with my parents. Um, sort of like the path for or the growth path for rejection types is going back and getting back in touch with some of those wounds that you've cut off from. And in a way, it, the experiences I've had romantically and allowing myself to be wounded in a romantic space has really paved the way for me to be able to open back up to having conversations with my parents that I just decided at a young age that were never going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it just sort of happened. I didn't, I just realized recently that I can have conversations with my parents that I had cut off from a long time ago. And what paved the way for that was uh, opening myself up to being wounded and coming through the other side of like, oh, wow, this is actually, it doesn't kill you. Mm-hmm. But you actually become more of yourself and you're more connected with yourself because you're not compartmentalizing from, okay, yeah, that hurt. I'm just going to forget that exists. Now it's like, yeah, that hurt. Uh, and it's okay. And, you know, my parents hurt me when they did this and that. And, you know, for example, when I was a kid or a teenager, my first girlfriend, they basically completely sabotaged the whole thing. And so as a sexual type, it was kind of like, never again. You're, <laughs> you're all will never be part of my romantic life whatsoever. And so I've never had a conversation with them about anyone I was dating. Mm. And I'm almost 40. Mm. And so this, in this last year, that actually happened because I just did it. And, and I realized, yeah, I am more open because I have allowed myself to be wounded um, and reconnecting with the parts of myself that I felt wounded uh, or I cut off from in some ways has really um, brought back more of myself or I'm more connected to myself, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that, Emika. I think, um, I think it's a beautiful example. Cause yeah, we, I mean, if we're in relationship with people, we will be wounded and we will wound others. Um, and one of the things that we're supposed to learn when we're young is that we can stay in relationship even with that right and that we can hate people and be enraged um and um and you know the child and and like mom and dad still love you right right and so i don't need to be perfect and i don't need them to be perfect and um that's a really hard thing to let go of um uh, a few years ago i did this workshop on um uh, called letter to my mother and it was really interesting because uh, one part of it asked us to like list characteristics of your actual mother and then list char- characteristics of mother, like the ideal mother. <laughs> and um, it was so interesting because I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, my ideal mother like has no needs. Like she yeah. only is there for my needs. Um, and um, to kind of like begin to put together um, oh, this is a real person just like me. And she's been wounded too, mm. right? Um, and I think what, you know, 
the way we feel about both of our parents, but since we're talking about the feminine, the way we feel about our mothers and what we ask our mothers to carry, like imagining some kind of archetypal perfection from them. And as long as we're holding on to that wound of like, because I didn't get the perfect mothering, yeah, there's parts of us that we're not encountering and we're kind of fixing ourselves in that very young space. Yeah. But that, that's that been a big thing for me, just the, you know, as a rejection type, uh, what you said, really, the way that you said it about uh, getting in touch with the feminine is, is allowing yourself to be wounded. That's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a really big deal. It is. It is. And I know, like, I, I, I feel into, like, the three part of me that feels like I'm just going to skip through life and never get mm -hmm. caught. <laughs> I'm just gonna I don't be know like, what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to be the shining golden whatever and not get caught by all that stuff that junk that other people have to deal with, right? Mm -hmm. And this is like not actually being a part of life. This is a separation from life. Um and um yeah, I mean, I feel like this this topic calls us into the four space, like vulnerability, intimacy, Right. You know, intimacy is delicious and it also means we, we let ourselves be open to being hurt. Mm -hmm. And that's a real human experience. You know, um, talking about, you know, like like Emika speaking to rejection. I mean, anybody, but, you know, specifically we've been talking about rejection in a very deep way. And, uh, you know, like, I mean, the eight thing in all of us is like, I'm not going to get touched or hurt. Right. Um, and or if I am touched or hurt, it didn't hurt me. Right, right. It's, pull, it's like a pulling back even further. Like, yeah, no, that's not you know. But I remember, and I've, I've mentioned this before, but my friend Alex Drew, who's two, one time we were just talking, and I said something about how it's just a fact of existing that we're gonna hurt people, and she just started like bawling, mm -hmm. like just mm -hmm. uncontrollably bawling. And I, you know, I know that two has this thing of not of how they're not being hurt. There's also like I think maybe more to the core or in the mix or something is like like i'm not i can't wound others or i'm mm -hmm. not the one that can wound others and by mm -hmm. like by like trying to take myself out of the the mix of life that can that that inevitably leads to wounding others i wound others because mm -hmm. i'm trying to manipulate in <laughs> yeah. a certain way and i thought that was mm -hmm. an interesting you know whether it's two eight or what rejection or universe right. whatever that kind of it's the same thing. It's like if you try not to be hurt, you will still be hurt. If you yeah. try not to wound others, you're still going to wound others. It's just like yeah. there's a certain percentage of, of wounding that we must do in a certain way. Like that the AIDS is trying not to be wounded. They end up being the one that wounds. Mm. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like we're going to bump into each other in this life. Like there's no avoiding that. Like, Nancy, it's funny what you were talking about, right? It's like, you know, we're all walking around like, I'm just going to keep myself from bumping into anybody. And it's like, it's just not possible. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I think on a collective level, because we have so little room for emotions like grief and anger, we actually block the arising of love and harmony, mm, right? Yeah. Um, it used to be in, in the old days and still in some cultures that there were like um, groups of women whose job it was to mourn, mm, right? Yeah, like they yes. show up at the funeral and wail 
in Nigerian culture at Nigerian funerals, I'm sure there's other funerals where they do this, but like mm-hmm. there, there are designated people that are there to cry. Right. Cry dramatically. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So that like you can really experience like the grief, right, of of the fact of material life is that everything I love, I will lose. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we can try and ignore that or keep a stiff upper lip. or We can actually give time to that and experience those emotions. And, And, you know, one of the things about emotions is that when we actually experience them, they move, right? They move through us. Yes. Yeah. I, <laughs> I keep interrupting because you're just, just saying some no, really import, important shit for me. But that's one of the things I think I might have mentioned is that um, I learned the hard way that I couldn't just, all right, yeah, I'm over it. It's, it's fine. That, I, that if I did, if I went the other way and like, all right, this hurts, this sucks, and I really saturate in the feeling for Mm -hmm. intensely for like two three four however long it takes right that it i come out through the other side like all right you know i can accelerate the getting over it by actually sitting in its intent like this is the eight version i'm just gonna aggressively mourn (laughs) (laughs) all stages of grief in one day (laughs) i'm gonna just like aggressively mourn and then i'll be fine (laughs) yeah no totally totally um yeah so it does it for you man (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i i think that's news to a lot of people it was news to me when i started my inner journey too i was like what are these feelings for like what do you do with them what do they get you like i i don't get it um but uh yeah it's like if i just allow myself to be um and to feel deeply then it, it ends up connecting me to my love like like i know what i love by what i grieve for Mm. And that's being alive. Yes. Yeah. And so um, really allowing ourselves the abundance of our heart um, and not judging our emotions. Like, I shouldn't be feeling this way. I should be over this by now. Um, you know, all of those things kind of block the, whatever the process is of the, an individual at a particular moment with what's and just letting that move is part of the flow of the feminine and and um yeah like part of our individual our individualization as a culture as well is that like it's it sort of becomes um my responsibility to grieve by myself and get Mm. over it and again traditionally human beings don't grieve by themselves they they like we need a bigger container for big feelings yes Mm. right Mm. And so um, part of the work that I that I've been doing with Francis Weller is around community and initiation and um, how do we kind of recreate some of the connectivity that enables us to be with um, the largeness of of uh, our human form. I want to thank my uh, brothers here who ancestors who've helped me mourn through some episodes of my life. <laughs> Holy man. Honor. <laughs> no, I feel like uh that's been real I was I had my my like one of my oldest best friends, Colleen, was in town and uh we haven't had a lot of like just one on one time. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about how like in high school it was like me and Mary and Colleen were like just super tight. They're the ones who introduced the Enneagram to me. And our our friendships got like super 
like per like personal and real and sincere and in a way that we like we were kind of like noticing you know like looking around like man people don't really have real connection like yeah. even good friends are just like you know people in romantic relationships there's not a lot of actual like connecting and so yeah like i mean with this just those of us just like here on this call and stuff it's like we've just been so deeply involved with each other and like touching each other and changing yeah. each other and like right. a, you know so it's like the substance of ourselves has been mixed up it's not you know and i usually when you hear about that kind of stuff it's like people wounded each other a lot right and then right. they just get over wounds but there's not a lot of like mutual healing and growing in a certain way and i feel like mm-hmm. that's something that we've been able to like just naturally happen because of our shared love and passion for real stuff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's been really cool to see how people in the group have, I guess, with the example of this pod, of having real conversations about deep, uh, uh, the Enneagram uncovering layers of ourselves that people form their own little pods of intimate groups because everyone wants this on some level to be deeply connected to someone who, and the Enneagram gives you like a platform to be able to explore and have real conversations about ourselves. So, totally. Yeah, that deep nourishment and belonging that we're really longing for. Yeah, wonderful. It's All a right. good spot to stop. Yeah, cool. Thanks for coming on, Julie. Sure. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, we can do this uh, again next weekend if that's... Yeah, you want to do the same time next weekend, Julie? Let me just check. Also, while we're putting that in there, uh, if you, if you want to work with julie or reach out to julie or find julie her website is riverbendcoaching.com yep right okay yeah i can do same time next week cool cool all right all right thanks everybody see you guys again all right guys this is great podcast back bye Everybody missed you. They've been there were a couple threads of where's Nancy? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I was waiting for a message to be like, see those men kicked you off. <laughs> Damn boys. Nobody's no, people are too scared from the last time they said some shit like that. We know what <laughs> happened. I put them right. Yeah, that was they really still cool. aren't done hearing about it. Light your ass on fire. Don't talk about us. <laughs> yeah, I missed you guys. It's, been, it's nice to be back. Good to have you back, Nancy. Well, I'll talk soon. All right, guys. Later. Bye. And we know what you think about God. You paint yourself. Paint yourself. See how you painted yourself. In your image. In your gender. Because who would believe you after all the madness? If you knew how many times it took me to get here, to this place right in front of you, this place.